Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Royal Strong and True Podcast. After a little bit of a break for the holidays, we are back because there is a lot happening in the sports world right now. The college football playoff is coming to a close along with the college football season and the FCS playoffs, lest you forget. We got BYU men's basketball to talk about as they begin Big 12 conference play this week. And we have some BYU football news as a new member to the quarterback room has been added. We will talk about all this and more on the episode, but before you listen, make sure you're following us on Instagram and Twitter at Loyal to Royal Pod, where you'll find lots of fun and interactive content. Jared's put together a masterclass of content for bowl season. We will, as BYU basketball starts league play, a conference play, we will ramp up the basketball content as well. Follow us there at, lo- at Loyal to Royal Pod. You won't regret it. Without further ado, let's get into the episode. Let's boo. Go Tigers. But that field judge on the far side is in their pocket, man. Go over your death, right? Let's back this booler. Yeah! <laughs> let's go wild, let's man. Go, baby. Let's go. I have to the ball. <laughs> We're at a waterfall, dude. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Royal Strong and True Podcast. New year, new us, new you, new everything. New quarterbacks. Uh, we have a lot. Oh, it's been a while. Yeah, it's a whole new setup. I was telling Jared before this that I left my wired earbuds with the microphone and everything at work, so I'm using wireless today. So if I sound weird, that's why. A, B, also because literally as Jared was doing the intro, I got a low battery notification on my earbuds. So uh, I very well might just be using my computer mic halfway into this. So uh, let's go. Yes, off to a great start, 2024. Let's go. Um, Yeah, so uh, there's a lot to talk about. Uh, Sorry for not coming or not doing a podcast last week. We said we were going to, and then I felt deathly ill. I Mm. was on my deathbed, it seemed, um, but I made it through. I am alive, and we are back. So we have have quite a lot to talk about. Uh, Where do you want to start, Justin? I mean... We could start at the top, work our way down. We could start at the bottom, work our way up. Um, I I don't even know. There's bowl season. There's college basketball. There's the playoff. There's the transfer portal. <laughs> Throw a dart at the board. Let's go. First of all, I'm grateful that we got to celebrate Easter a little early this year and that you are alive off of your deathbed. Um, <laughs> love that. That's awesome. Uh, shout out. Uh, Jared, guess you didn't know his middle name was Lazarus. Um, (laughs) let's see what, let's, let's start with the news that we most recently discovered and have been kind of, you know, throwing back and forth in the group chat. Um, BYU has signed a transfer quarter, a transfer portal quarterback from the university of Southern Florida. Uh, that being somebody that we affectionately know on this podcast as Gary, Jerry, Larry, Barry, Bo, Barry, Bohannon. Anything that rhymes with Gary, Jerry is Bohannon. Jared, how do you feel about Bohannon being a coup? Aye, aye, aye. Um, 
I don't know. Um, BYU just seems like, hey, if we play a quarterback a couple years ago and they look half decent, let's go get them after they've fallen into some weird, like, pseudo – I it, it's just weird. It's like the same exact thing as Keaton Slovis, right? We played them two mm-hmm. years ago, two or three years ago. Now they're a, a dead end job basically, and we're gonna bring them back and bring them to glory. I don't, I don't know. When I saw this, I was not stoked. Um, and the first thing that it kind of tells me is that we have a lot of faith in Retzlaff. Now, I I think Retzlaff is the guy. I think yes, he was kind of thrown in the fire this year. Um, obviously, he didn't even do spring ball with our team, right? Like. He was here over the summer and they were still trying to get Keaton Slovis into the offense. And so Retzlaff was battling for second team reps with Cade Finnegan. So he got like maybe 15% of snaps in practice and that's being generous, right? Of course he's going to stink. There's going to be some weird things when he comes in halfway through the season for an injured Keaton Slovis. Um, I think he's the guy. And I think this move kind of shows that he's the guy. I think they have faith in him, but they need to bring somebody in to kind of stoke some competition, kind of push Retzlaff to to kind of take his game to the next level. Whereas if we maybe didn't have Gary Jerry coming in, then maybe Retzlaff wouldn't be pushed in the same way. I don't think Gary Jerry is coming in to be the for sure starter. Now, I don't know. That's not any inside information, but that's kind of was my initial reaction to the news. Yeah, if you, if you come to this podcast looking for insider information, you, you're kind of in the wrong place. You, you, what you are listening to on the show is just two knuckleheads, uh, knuckleheading. That's what we do. <laughs> uh, we 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 say stupid things that we disguise as hot takes, and we use them for engagement. That's what we do. Um, Gary, Jerry, Larry, Boberry. I am very confused by the fact that he's a coog now. It, it really doesn't make any sense to me at all whatsoever. Like you said, it, it just seems like we, and this might be the most accurate thing ever now, now that I've just thought about this. It kind of feels like we as BYU football have a savior complex. But you know, we're, we're trying to be like our out. savior, right? <laughs> yeah, checks out, right? We're trying to be like Jesus, but we have this, we want to save these quarterbacks that weren't as good that aren't as good as they were in the past and we want to fix them and make them better. And, you know, we, we can fix them. You know, it's kind of like a toxic relationship. I completely agree with you though, Jared, that this says that in my opinion and your opinion too, apparently that Jake Retzloff is the man. I think BYU fans as a whole have been very unfair to Jake Retzloff. I think that he is still a very good passer. I just feel like he had a bad little stretch there the past couple, the the, past, the last two, three games of the season. And that's not necessarily his fault. Like you said, he didn't have the preparation. He didn't have the time to get ready with the team. There were things that happened that put him in a position to fail, really. I think that he has plenty of, I think he has plenty of qualities that can make him a good quarterback, both with his, with his arms and his, both with his arm and his legs. And I think Gary, Jerry, Larry, Boberry, Harry, whatever the fairy is being brought in to be a veteran backup. If Jake were to go down or somebody else were to go down, we just need somebody that has experience to run a few reps. I think that's kind of what this is. 
I've seen some people on Twitter, right, that are saying, or sorry, X or Twitter, whatever you want to call it. Some people saying, oh, but, you know, he's he's won the Big 12. He's won that sugar bowl patch on his chest. You know, he did incredible things. I just think we're we're looking into the past. That That's not who Gary yeah. Jerry Larry Ferry is right now. And I think it's a mistake to assume that he would that he is going to be the starter or that he is going to be the guy. No, I I totally agree. Um, not to say anything against Gary Jerry Larry Bulberry. Like we're glad he's here. I think he does bring a lot. Like he is a dual threat quarterback. He can yeah. move. He's not immobile. Um, he he brings that veteran presence. Like this is his what. Like he started playing in I saw. So this is going to be his sixth year of college football. He he knows a lot. He's been around. Like you said, he's been in those positions of playing for the Big 12 title and whatever, right? Playing in a sugar bowl, all that kind of stuff. So he has a lot of experience. I just don't know if coming in and having him be the starter is really going to be the best thing for our program moving forward. Um, an interesting move, no doubt. Um it, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out during spring. If we really do see a competition, I mean, they're going to say it's a competition, right? But, uh, or if yeah. Rhett's life really is going to end up going out and uh, taking the job. Um, here's a question for you. At what point will you start to get concerned if Rhett's hasn't uh, proven himself to be a starter, right? Like if we're getting late into fall camp, and they still are like, yeah, it's an ongoing competition. At what point are you like, oh, boy, like, is Gary really like, is he going to be the starter, which I think lowers the ceiling a lot? You know, maybe it has a higher floor, but definitely lowers the ceiling. I don't know. Is uh, In my honest opinion, like. There is no reason under any circumstances this season where Gary, Jerry, Larry, Bulberry should be starting. I think that he should be a backup. That's what he should be. I think that if we are going to have success as a program, we need to develop our younger talent. We can't keep bringing in these one and done guys and push our talent down the depth chart. You got guys like Ryder Burton that the coaches were high on that. You know, he wasn't a high, highly rated recruit or anything, but maybe he'll be good. You got Noah Lugo coming in. You got other quarterbacks coming in as well. You, you have to give your young guys a chance to develop. Like Oppenheimer and his buddy said, theory can only take you so far, right? You have to start blowing things up. And you have to let your quarterback go on the field and start blowing things up. Even if he's not great, you need to let him take game snaps and learn. Because you see it with Jake Retzloff, Right. He didn't have any game snaps until those final four games of the year. And it worked, and then it didn't, and then, you know, it, it was difficult, right? You need to give your young guys a chance to grow and to become the next guy up. N the next guy up mentality means nothing if you're just going to keep bringing guys in to start over them, right? Then you have people that just transfer and leave. I don't know. I think, I think it's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, my computer just loaded, and I just want to – Throw this out here just real quick. Um, shout out Gary Bohannon. Same recruiting class as Justin Fields. All right. Justin Fields is going on his what? Fourth year in the NFL? Third year? Fourth year? <laughs> Something like that. Cool. <laughs> um, that, that, but that's an interesting point you bring up. And I think you're 100% right. 
uh, if we look at the transfer portal and the players that are going into the transfer portal coming out and making an instant impact, um, none of them are quarterbacks. Like you don't see any first year or single time transfer quarterbacks that are going to make a massive difference. Um, all the quarterbacks that are transfers that like did make a big difference, Justin Fields, Michael Penis, uh, Jaden Daniels, uh, LSU, right? These are Joe Burrow at LSU. These are all guys that went somewhere, struggled in their first year, and their second year really popped off and exploded. Now, I I think especially with the quarterback position, it's not a simple Band-Aid. You're not going to have the one-time transfer come in and just absolutely blow things up. I think that's way – like that's not sustainable. Um, that's hoping to catch lightning in a bottle. It's never really going to work. Um, maybe one time out of a hundred, right? I think if you yeah. really, if you really want uh, your quarterback to be successful, they need to grow up in your system. Whether that's from a high school recruit, or you bring in a transfer that like Retzlaff, and you get them a couple years in the system, and then as they develop with your system, they get that familiarity with their with the players, with the coaching staff. I think that's really when you see it explode, as it has with those names that I mentioned, right? Um, I think other skill positions are on the line. I think it could be different, right? Because it's not uh, it's not as important as a position as as quarterback is. Quarterback needs to know everything, right? Is literally in control of everything. I think quarterback specifically, the one and dones is not that's not the way to go if you want to be a successful football program. Completely agree. Uh, my left earbud just died. Can you still hear me? Okay, through my right. I got you through the right one. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I only have sound coming out of one side now. Um, if you think about it, right, where we tout our NFL talent, right, of uh, of the two BYU quarterbacks, or sorry, three, I guess, if you want to count Taysom Hill, and BYU quarterbacks that are in the NFL, were they transfers? Were they one-and-doneers? Or were they guys that we brought up through the program? All three of them were guys that got brought up through the program that had time to learn and grow with Aaron Roderick or whoever their other offensive coordinator was, you know, I think that is the recipe for success. And you see it, right. Football and basketball aren't exactly comparable, right. But you see sort of a parallel with Mark Pope squad and what he did last year. He tried to keep his young core together. And last year they sucked. They weren't very good. They were still learning how to play together. They were still learning what to do. They were still learning the system. But he stuck with that, and one year later, look where we are, ranked number 12 in the nation going into Big 12 conference play. Coincidence, number 12, Big 12? I think not. <laughs> Maybe that's something you need to do, right? You need to give your quarterback a season to struggle. Like you were saying, Michael Penis, like you were saying, Joe Burrow, these guys didn't blow it up right on their first year on campus, right? They had to... You know, they did well, took a step, and that next season really popped off. You have to give Retzloff, in my opinion, that same chance. Yeah, 100% agree. And and then we have to give that chance to the guys in the future too, right? Like, we, we can't just be like, all right, we have Retzloff. Like, that's great. Let's go get somebody for next year now. Like, we need to become a more developmental uh, program focused on those quarterbacks. Um, now – who knows? Maybe the quarterback recruits we have just aren't good enough. Uh, but I, I think that they are good enough, and I, w I would rather see us try to do that than 
go out and get some fifth year, sixth year guy every single year and hoping that he can come in and be a band-aid to lead us to glory or whatever it is. Yeah, you can't put a band-aid over a bullet hole. Yep. Hundred percent. You gotta heal it. Um any other football transfer news? I mean, I I I guess I should mention Ohio State and Will Howard. Uh, we'll get to Ohio <laughs> State a little bit later. Um, Ohio State's down bad. Yeah. Yeah, I let's actually let's just get to Ohio State later. I don't want to bring it up twice. Uh, we'll get to that. But BYU football news. Uh, I don't think there was anything else big. Um, I mean, they did hire the Woods guy um, from Georgia Southern. He looks very mean in his little mugshot they posted of him. So that's good. Um, yeah, he looks like how an offensive line coach should look. Yes, very much so. Um, not nothing else really, right? I don't think we're missing anything. Nothing that I can think of. You know, you've had you know multiple uh, smaller transfers. Uh, you know, you got uh, our boy, rest in peace, Dom Henry and Quentin Rice, who both entered the portal. We love um, them. that. Now makes one hundred percent of the people that we have interviewed on this podcast at one point or another have left the program. Um, Don't worry, we're either done. by decommitting or transferring. We won't do any more interviews, everyone. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry. We will. We have to break the streak, right? It's just like they say, you know, you know that that picture that picture of the guy mining for diamonds, and then he turns around right before he strikes yes. it. That's <laughs> us with interviews. I'm, you know what? I'm reaching out to literally every single person in BYU signing class. We're gonna get them all on an interview at the same time. It's gonna be like a freaking panel discussion, bro. We're getting <laughs> them all on. That that would be great. Um, so wait for that. Uh, yeah, expect that soon, probably. Um, Let's move on to BYU basketball because BYU basketball, like you said, number 12 in the country going into Big 12 play. Um, You can scratch this one off your bingo card. I did not have this anywhere. I This was unfathomable to me. I cannot understand how – like I cannot explain how shocking it is to me that our BYU basketball team is ranked 12th in the country. What are we? Is it number two or number three or number one in the net? I can't remember. It changes every day. Um, but we're super top five in net going into big 12 conference play. Justin, are we for real? I don't know. The numbers love us, right? But we haven't played a bunch of hard talent, you know, NC state's looking like it might be a quad one win. They're now two and zero in ACC play Arizona state struggled down the stretch. So we don't really know what a win over them is going to mean. And then we lost to Utah in our only true away game of the non-conference, which is disgusting to say, but it was a close game. It's not like we got blown out or anything, right? It was a close game. We were in it to the very end. We had a shot to tie it and to send it in the overtime or a, a shot, a, you know, a ball that went out of bounds, you know, if you can call it a shot. We almost had, um, we almost had a shot. Statistically, we are playing incredible basketball. Our passing is off the charts. I think we're number one in the nation in the percentage of our field goals that are assisted. We are, we're like top 10 in the nation and basically every offensive metric, except for free throw shooting in which we are bottom 10 in the nation because we just don't not, not in free throw shooting percentage, right. But in points per game, like points scored from the line as a ratio. Exactly. Right. It's weird. Right. Cause you think of the big 12, is it high flying? Is it big and bruising? I kind of tend to think it's a little more bruising than it is high flying three point shooting. 
So our team is very different than the I, – I honestly have no clue, to be honest. There's, there's only one way to find out. Conference play starts on Saturday. That's, that's the only way we're going to find out if we're for real or not. But the benefit is we have been overhyped in the preseason. We're number 12, these high net rankings and everything. We would have to do something cataclysmic in conference play to not make the tournament at this point. Yeah, no, we we really would. Like, I, I think if you go 500, uh, the tourney is a lock, basically, right? If oh, yeah. 500 to the if we go 500, we might be like a, like a number five seed. Right? Yeah, like, it's insane how good the Big 12 is. Uh, nothing has changed, everyone. The Big 12 is still the best conference in basketball. Um, I, the Big East might have something to say about it, but we're, the Big 12 is top to bottom, I'd say, the best conference in basketball. Um, but yeah, so we start this Saturday, Cincinnati. What do we know about Cincinnati? We have a common opponent, which was Evansville. They only beat them by 18, whereas we beat them by, let me check this. Is that correct? Uh, 41. So yep. you're saying we should win by 23 then, right? Yeah. I mean, Cincinnati's a really good team, right? They're 11 and two and their only two losses are to big East teams. But the fact that, like, BPI gives us, like, a something ridiculous, like an 84% chance of winning this game, says a lot, I think, about the Marriott Center, how the numbers view us, our home court advantage. Honestly, I've, I really don't have any clue about this team that since – the team that Cincy will be presenting on Saturday because their main scorer, their big man, is kind of in and out with a hamstring injury. They're not 100% sure if he's going to play or if he's going to play full minutes. He's played more minutes than anybody else on the team. They're not sure if he's going to play a full game. Without him, where do you go from there? I think Cincinnati, besides that, is a pretty inside-out heavy team. They like to score in the paint, and they like to jack up threes. Their percentage is nowhere close to ours, though, and we have one of the best three-point defense percentages in the nation. So I think this is – this tends to be a pretty good matchup for us against Cincinnati. But what do you think? No, I totally agree. I think it's a great matchup. I think it's a great first Big 12 game. I don't think it's going to be anywhere near one of our hardest games, right? It's going to be towards the winnable spectrum, right? Like, we we need to win this game. We we should and probably need to win this game uh, if we want to make the tournament. Um, losing this game would be very bad if we, you, you know, maybe not very bad, but it would be bad. Um, Cincinnati is a lot like us. Like they didn't play a super, super difficult non-conference schedule. And the two good teams that they played were in-state rivals that they both lost. Right. Same with us. Like we haven't played a super hard schedule and we lost our in-state rivals. So I, I think being at home gives us a huge advantage. Like you said, FPI gives an 82% chance. I bet 40% of that is probably home court. Um, but like you said, like we I think are they say well, generally 60% is. <laughs> say it again. Sorry. I think gen- generally they say home court is 60% based. I I mean that checks out. And especially for the Marriott Center, because the Marriott Center is one of the best home court advantages in the sport. Uh that place is gonna be rocking on Saturday night, uh 8 p.m. ESPN two. I think this is a must watch for Cougar fans. Like, yes, I think we should win. We're probably going to be favored by eight to 10 points, maybe more. 
Uh, I'd be kind of surprised if it were more, but I, I think this is a must watch because this is going to tell you what expectations should be moving forward in the big 12. If we come out, play our game and just manhandle Cincinnati, I think that we can hope for a single digit seed in the tournament. And I think we'd be happy with that. But if we come out, we struggle, we barely win or we lose. I think it might be, uh, we, we might be worried that we are just a little bit overhyped. We may not, uh, we may not be quite living up to everything that ever, everybody is saying right now. Um, so yeah, I'm labeling it a must watch. This is, this is where we're going to find out who we are. A must watch indeed. Uh, one thing I do want to talk about is the past game that we played versus Wyoming. We dominated them as we should have, right? Beat them by like 26 points. But there were some crazy stats in that game that I want to bring up that I think you will be baffled by. Well, I'm excited. Um, first of all, and two of these stats are for one man. Of Trevin Nell's seven field goals, he scored seven field goals. Okay. Six. Six of the seven were assisted by Ali Khalif. Oh, that dude. By one man. He's a dude. To build on Khalifa there, Khalifa had eight assists and one turnover, right? It's a pretty good game. Eight assists, one turnover. His assist to turnover ratio went down. What? Assists and one turnover. Yeah. It went from 17 to 14. You're going to kill me. Jared's dying. I'm dying over here. Dude, Ali Khalif was the weirdest basketball player I've ever seen. He looks like he doesn't belong on the court, and yet he's one of the greatest players I've ever watched. It's like watching Magic yep. Johnson when he passes. <laughs> I'm John Stockton. Yeah, it's awesome. I love the fact that we got Big Chungus on our team. We have dubbed him officially Big Chungus. Yes, he is Big Chungus now. He's Big Chungus. Uh, who, who else do we have? Um, we have, we Zach, have Zach Selyus, which is Townsend Triple, right? Yep. And then we got I, – I would I would say maybe we even have a TJ Haas and Richie Saunders. Okay, okay. This could be good. This could be really good. Yeah, we're building a Superman roster. Check back. We'll, uh, we'll have more. <laughs> the Avengers are assembling. <laughs> uh, a couple more crazy stats from that game. Our leading scorer in that game was Noah Waterman. Ooh. If I told you last year at any point that Noah Waterman would be leading us in any statistical category other than turnovers, would you have believed me or slapped me across the face? I would have vomited my left lung out onto the table. But here he is. He's balling. He is. He he's He's playing like a man possessed. He really he is. It, it, it's insane to watch him play now compared to last year. Like last year, anytime he was on the court, we would like cover our eyes. And now he's one of the best players on the court. Like uh, the change that went through him, like he must've got baptized or something. It's, it's insane. The difference in, in, in how he's playing. Like it's, it's honestly like watch a completely different person now. Yeah. Honestly, he's kind of a Zach Selyusy character too. And the fact that, just like Zach Selyus in 2019-2020, right? The whole beginning of the year, whenever he got the ball, it was, don't shoot! But then, towards the end, it was, shoot it! It doesn't matter if he was at half court. 
Noah Waterman, all of last year was like, oh, please don't give him the ball. This year, I'm like, he's he's behind the half court line. And I'm like, show him Waterman. Show him. <laughs> Uh, last crazy stat that I want to share, and this this might be the most baffling of them all. Um, Atiki Aliatiki, in two of his last three games, has had zero personal fouls. Wow. Changed yeah. Down. The other of those three games, he had four fouls in. But uh, oh. still, two of three, he had zero fouls. That's ridiculous. <laughs> He's going to be like a cardiac heart monitor that's just like four fouls, zero, zero, fouled out, zero, fouled out, zero. I, he is a – dude, our team is just so full of characters. Like we have so many characters on our team. Like each guy has a like distinct like niche and just like weird thing about him. Like I freaking love this. Yeah, we have a quirky team and I, it, it is beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful. I really hope we can keep putting it together in conference play. Um, it, I I don't know. What are your expectations right now? Obviously, like we said, Cincinnati will kind of be that game that we kind of look to and be like, all right, this, this is now what we think we are. But as of now, without having seen us against some real, real, real opponents back to back to back, what are you thinking? Like, what, what should be the expectation on this team? Honestly, for those of you that don't know, um, conference play has 18 games. So if we're going 500, that means we're going nine and nine. Does BYU win more than nine games? It's a very tough schedule, but when you align everyone in the Big 12, BYU actually has the weakest strength of schedule within conference play. They are number 14 out of number. We have the easiest path through the Big 12. And that includes us only getting Houston once and getting them at home. That is huge. So I think BYU, I would be elated, elated if we went somewhere in the neighborhood of 11 and 7. I think 9 and 9 is good. I think even at 8 and 10, we probably make the tournament. I mean, you have to remember, there was a team in the Big 12 last year. I was listening to Mark Pope talk about this on, uh, I think it was John Rothstein's podcast that lost like four out of their last five conference games and was a five seed in the tournament. <laughs> the sky is the limit when you're within this conference. I say my opinion, ceiling 11 and seven, four, eight and 10. Okay. Um, I, I, I like that. I don't know. I think we can definitely get to 11 looking at the schedule. We have, like you said, a lot of winnable games. We only play Houston once. We only play Kansas once. Um, I I think we should definitely get to 10. I think 10 should be right now, right? We haven't seen us play against some quote-unquote real teams. <laughs> I think 10 and 8 is a reasonable expectation. I think 9 and 9 is kind of what I would deem expected at this point. I'm going to hope for 10, expecting yeah. 9. Anything less, like I won't be shocked. I won't be disappointed unless it's like six or five or something, right? But then again, even then, that's what I was expecting coming in, right? I was expecting maybe get four or five wins. So I think if we can get to 500, I think that's great. I think we are a lock for the tournament, you know, get a nine seed, eight seed kind of thing. Um, and then we'll see what happens. 
I don't know. I'm really excited. Like we said, things kick off on Saturday and then things get very real uh, after Saturday when we go to number 18 Baylor in their first ever conference game in their brand new stadium. So uh, that one should be interesting. Yeah, you got Caleb Lohner's revenge game. Um. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Watch out, backboards. Those layups are coming in hot. <laughs> the force of a thousand burning hot white suns. He's <laughs> throwing the ball off the backboard. <laughs> I miss Caleb. It's going to be so funny watching him play against BYU. Uh, oh, it was yeah. legendary when he's, you know, he gave his like own little version of the I hate Utah speech. So that was, <laughs> that was incredible. Yeah, dude. Think things are gonna get crazy. I'm really excited though. I have a question for you though. Yes. Um, this is something that I've kind of concocted right now. Uh BYU has nine home games mm-hmm. within conference play. People are comparing our home environment to 2020, early 2020, when we played Gonzaga. And it was one of the loudest and most incredible arenas that you've ever heard. I think that was one of my favorite games that I've ever attended. Being in there, being in the rock, it was it was amazing. It was magical. But one could argue that the reason that game was so magical is that BYU fans, there was all this buildup for one game, right? Now you have nine home games that are basically on that same level, or if not at the level of Gonzaga, at least at the level of a St. Mary's, you know? Can BYU sustain what it did against Gonzaga in 2020 crowd-wise for nine games throughout the rest of the year? Or is it, will BYU's crowd only get up for a couple of those nine games? That's a really good question. I don't know the answer. I would like to say that we would be able to, but I think inevitably there are going to be some Wednesday, Thursday, Tuesday uh, night games that maybe slip under the rug, right? Like, I don't know, a UCF on a Tuesday night, right? Or a Kansas State or or a TCU. Um, I, I would like to think that we won't drop below kind of that St. Mary's-ish. I think it'll be full every night. Like, I don't think it's... I, I don't think there will be a night where it's like a San Diego, right? And we're like struggling to get the rock to the concourse. I think it'll be loud. I think it'll be full, but I just, like you said, I don't think it'll be special unless our team is really good. I, I, I don't think it matters so much the opponent now. I think it more matters. Do we have a fighting chance to win this game? Will it mean something, right? I think that's kind of more what it will come down to. Gotcha. No, that that makes sense. And I, I kind of agree with you. It, it'll be a good atmosphere, but I don't think it will be great all nine games. It might be close to it. But hey, if it is, prove me wrong. I would love that. I would love yes, to be please, known as one of the <laughs> premier venues in sports. I would love that. Everyone, every one of the WCC announcers is always like, the Marriott Center, oh my gosh, let me shove a cougar tail halfway down my throat. Oh! <laughs> like, it, it, It'll be exciting for Big 12 announcers to come here. Um when we have those primetime games, right? Those ESPN Plus games, I've kind of noticed that they're just handing literally everything over to the BYU TV studio. The yep. uh, pregame 
the game production, the post game, literally everything is produced by BYU. Yes, sir. Interesting <laughs> to see what happens in those big primetime games. Shout out Jared producing those things. Yes, sir, baby. Um, yeah, it's gonna be really interesting. I'm I'm very excited. It's weird. Like, there's always the shift that happens after football season. Um, like for me, for basketball season, like probably doesn't start until after the national championship game. Like, I probably won't watch a game. I haven't really watched the game yet. Um, but I think I might watch on Saturday, uh, Cincinnati. Um, and I'm excited to really get in, dive in, kind of figure out more about what the team is, what the league is. Because I couldn't tell you one thing about another Big 12 school right now in basketball. Like, nothing. <laughs> I know Zach Eady's still playing for Purdue. Uh, hashtag just tall. Um, yeah. Just tall. I don't, I don't know. So I'm excited for basketball season. Doesn't technically start um, for like another couple of days. But uh, it's exciting to talk about. Exciting to get excited for. Um and BYU has a team this year, so that makes it that much better. Well, as we dive back in, Jared, what say ye we raise the stakes? Oh, baby. Oh, baby. Sorry, can you hear me? Did you freeze? Did I freeze? Yeah, I can. Did you? Something was frozen. But in case you guys didn't hear, we're freaking raising the stakes, baby. Let's yes. freaking go. Raising the stakes is back. Um, what? Let's see. Okay, so just remind people, we have a stupid little bet that we do every week. Uh, it's basically uh -huh. a prop bet. We choose something or someone to do something, and then the loser has a punishment. Uh, I was supposed to sing Jingle Bells like Bill Walton, and I got very, very sick, was not able to do so. So, uh Yes, what will be the punishment for this week's? Ooh, let's let's see. We we probably should have come up with something beforehand, shouldn't we? Um the loser of this particular event has to uh shoot. I say you have to stick a cheese stick up both your nostrils. And post a picture to the Instagram story. Okay, I like it. Uh, the loser of this raising the stakes <laughs> bet has to shove two cheese sticks, one up each nostril, and post a picture to the gram. So be be on the lookout for that. Make sure you're following the Instagram. <laughs> yeah, where you'll find all of that dumb, stupid content. Jared's been pumping out some incredible content all throughout bowl season. So make sure you're looking at that as well. I promise you I will get back to making some stupid memes and stuff as well as we are now in conference play. So, Jared, let's raise the stakes. What is your bold prediction? All right. My bold prediction, uh, it's going <clears> to <throat> – has to do with being at home, being at the Marriott Center. Um, so, Cincinnati on the season – uh, hold on. My computer is loading. I well, my bold. This is this is my bold prediction. They're gonna shoot under whatever their season field uh, free throw percentage is because of the rock, because of the atmosphere. Um, they are shooting sixty eight point four percent from the free throw line this year. I say they will shoot under sixty eight percent from the free throw line at the Marriott Center. Gosh, Dad. 
That'd be a pretty bad night from the line for Cincinnati. That would be bad. Uh, my hot prediction, hot take, hot, bold, bold prediction, hot take, whatever you want to call it, is kind of the inverse of Jared's. Ooh. Mine is that BYU will shoot over 50% from three oh, on Saturday. Baby! Hot diggity! We I, popping off then. I'm, I'm going to hedge my bets 50% or more. So, okay, that's a good – that's very needed. BYU will shoot 50% or more from three on Saturday. That's beautiful. If we shoot fifty percent or more from three, we're winning that. We're winning that ball game, guaranteed. If, there's no chance we lose if we shoot over fifty percent from three. With how many threes we shoot, that's going to be like sixty points off of threes, probably. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> yep. Let's see. Uh, if we're talking about Baylor too, my raising the stakes jokingly would be. Um, the that Atiki Ali Atiki and Caleb Loner will get into one or more altercations. <laughs> I like that. That's a little bonus. A little bonus for the people. That's just a little bonus. Keep keep an eye on it. Yeah, keep an eye on it. I like it. I like that one. Um, that kind of wraps it up for BYU basketball. Unless you have anything else to say. <laughs> no. All right. I think that's it. Uh, I Like I said, I am excited for basketball season when it gets here uh, Saturday slash after Monday. Um, and speaking of Monday, let's talk about it. This is what we all have been waiting for. Uh, bowl season was fantastic. College football is the greatest sport on earth. No other sport is like it. I mean, the Bulls were incredible. The off-the-field bowl shenanigans with the Pop-Tarts mascot – and everything that was just absolutely <laughs> bonkers. Um, it it was a beautiful oh, chef's kiss. Yes, French kiss to bowl season. I I don't know. Before we get into the playoff, do you have anything? Uh, do you have anything to say about bowl season? I did not think it was possible to top the Duke's Mayo Bowl, which is still an elite bowl. Yes. But, man, the Pop-Tart Bowl was absolutely incredible. If you did not watch Pop-Tart Bowl highlights, ignore the game. The game was the game was fun. <laughs> Just look up Pop-Tart highlights. That Pop-Tart was all over the place, running around, causing havoc, spanking the refs. He was doing all kinds of stuff. And then he gets raised out of a toaster and then drops back into a toaster, wanting to be eaten with his smile, with a sign that says, dreams really do come true. <laughs> Out is popped out a life like his size pop tart, and they freaking devour the pop tart. Oh my they, god! They, they left one eye. They left one eye. I swear it was on purpose. That was the most bizarre thing ever, but the most incredible marketing stunt I've ever seen. I have not thought about pop tarts this much since I was like five years old. Oh yeah, I, I love the pop tart bowl. Some estimate, some like. Uh, like sports business journal said that their marketing scheme around the pop tart bowl generated like $12 million alone in revenue for the company just off of having a freaking mascot. Like that's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Um, like you said, it was fantastic. Uh, Utah lost to Northwestern 
in one of the most grossest, beautiful games ever. Uh, They essentially lost their tryout for the Big Ten. Uh, They were trying to get into the Big Ten West there. Uh, Failed. Couldn't beat the worst team in the Big Ten West. So, uh, yeah, you're out, Utah. Sorry. Um, Just absolutely awesome. Like, I'm going to miss college football so, so much. Uh, Like, I was waking up at 9 a.m. and the Fenway Bowl was on, and I was like, oh, man, it's early for football. And then I just thought about all the months ahead we have coming, and I was like, frick, bro, I'm watching SMU lose to Boston College in the worst weather imaginable. Like, oh, man, I'm going to miss it so much. Yeah, dude, college football is the most beautiful sport. We love college football. We will always say it's the most beautiful sport on the planet. It is a shame that it has the longest offseason of literally any sport. Mm-hmm. So enjoy it while it still is here. You got two more college football games left. You got the national championship FBS and the FCS national championship that for whatever reason they put on a Sunday in the middle of a bunch of NFL games. doesn't matter to us, right? Those NFL <laughs> games were never going to get turned on anyway. We're watching freaking Montana. Okay. We're, we're going to watch Montana play. And it's going to be awesome. Yep. Can, can we just can we can we just talk about this really quick? Sorry, this is this is a total side, side track. Remember when Washington completely fell off of the rails when they lost to Montana, an FCS team? What was it two years ago? Yeah. Two years in the future, they're both playing for the national championship in their respective divisions. That's wild, That's, dude. I could not have scripted it any better. Little did we know we were watching one of the greatest matchups in sports history. That means if Montana wins and Washington wins, they're late. They have played each other. Although albeit two years in the past, but Montana has a win over Washington, making them the overall football national champion. Oh baby. So I guess, are we rooting for Montana then? We're rooting for Montana and Washington, I guess, by proxy. But uh, we, we're rooting for Washington anyway because we hate uh, Michigan. Yes, indeed. Um, let's let's talk about the CFP. Uh, we, we have to. Actually, beforehand, let me talk about Ohio State real quick. Ohio State put forth one of the most pitiful performances I've ever seen in the sport of football, let alone Ohio State. Um, probably the worst Ohio State football game I've watched my entire life. Uh, I don't think ever Ohio State has ever been that bad. Um, it was disgusting. It was Ooh, horrific. Remember uh, that Clemson game? Yeah, that's actually true. That one was worse. Uh, but this one was pretty bad. Um, that that one was definitely worse, Justin. Thank you for bringing up that wonderful memory of mine. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we lost to Missouri 14-3. Uh, to three. As soon as they scored a touchdown, I knew it was over and turned the game off. Um Ryan Day is like a scared little boy. Um, doesn't really know what he's doing. Uh, doesn't really care. Uh, wants to get out of there. I felt really bad for Devin Brown. He like came in super, super excited to play and then like broke his ankle on the third possession. Um, and then poor Lincoln Keinholtz was backed up on his own two yard line for like five straight possessions. And then Ryan Day is like, wait, maybe we should start playing with him. But then that was when the O-line was like, maybe we should go home. Um, yeah, really bad. Uh, basically what I'm trying to say here is Ohio state is in the dumps. Um, I don't know if we'll recover. I don't know how we recover. Uh, we have so many good freaking players, but we have 
uh, doofus coach and no quarterbacks. So I'm in the pits with Ohio State. Uh, it's all very depressing. Um, and I guess with BYU as well, we don't really know what the trajectory is in the future. So for college football sake, I'm sad it's gone for the next eight months. But for my team's sake, I'm glad that I don't have to worry about them for eight months because that'll add years back to my life that I keep losing every Saturday. Well, hey, at least, you know, being a BYU fan is depressing, right? But at this point, at least it's comically depressing. Things <laughs> are so bad, they're funny. Ohio State, you don't have that luxury, right? You have – you think you're going to win every year. You, you you go undefeated until the final game of the year, and then everything drops off, right? There's that hope, right? BYU never gives you that hope to begin with, so you can just have fun with it. I'm sorry for Ohio State. Sorry for Ohio State's fans. I'm sorry for your personal loss, Jared. The fact that um, over the past, I think it's eight years, Vanderbilt has more SEC wins than Ohio State does. Uh, two to one. That is, that, that's tough. That's tough. I'm sorry. Maybe I shouldn't have even brought that up. Or the game versus Clemson. Shouldn't have brought that up either. Uh, but what do you say we just move on from talking about the puck, guys? Yeah, let's just move on. Let's move on. Uh, let's shout out the fans real quick. The fans demolished us in the bowl picks. Uh, I guess demolish isn't the right word. They beat me by two, you by four. Dan was leading until like the last week and a half of bowls and he fell off a freaking cliff. Uh, yeah, finished yeah. fourth. Um, yeah, not, not, not good for Dan there. Um, but congratulations to the fans. You guys got up early and stayed ahead, held on for the victory. Um, and we have to shout out a special fan, KC and the Sunshine Band. Now, I don't know who this is. Um, they are KC and the Sunshine Band fire emoji. I'm sorry. KC and the Sunshine Band fire emoji. They won our bowl group. So they get a random shirt and a random hat. So if you are KC and the Sunshine Band, please DM us on Instagram. Uh, and we'll get you that random shirt and hat. I kind of just assumed that KC was Kevin Call. It might not be. Um, I He did, didn't mention you know? it. I don't think he did his online this year, so. Okay. So, yeah, KC and the Sunshine Band, fire emoji. DM us on Instagram or Twitter to claim your prize. Maybe next episode we can do a live drawing of the shirt and the hat that you will get. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm a, that might be a lot of fun. Um, I'm proud of myself. I was under 500 for most of the bowl, sta- bowl season standings. Ended up 23-19. Respectable. Um, 23-19. Don't, don't, honestly, like what you're saying, I don't know what the heck happened to Dan. His picks <laughs> just imploded. Like, <laughs> catastrophic. Cataclysmic. Cataclysmic. Cataclysmostrophic. Um. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was a good bowl season. It was beautiful. Uh, the CFP. Let's get to this as we kind of wind things down here. Um, so Alabama, Michigan. We let's talk about this game. The Rose Bowl is the best. I love the Rose Bowl, yep. but I hate watching Alabama and Michigan play football. And so watching them and play them each other, and I have to root for one, was not good. I came into the game being like. Ah, like who do I root for? Do I root for the Big Ten? 
do I root for Alabama? But Alabama was like, they took the spot, Florida State, like they shouldn't be there. Plus it's the SEC. It it was bad. But then after two plays, the hate boiled up inside me and just gushed out. And I was casting all sorts of cuss words and slurs at Jim Harbaugh, calling him khaki pants and stupid face and all the good stuff. So I was full on rooting for Alabama. Uh, Their center needs to be locked in a dark closet where there are no round objects of any kind. Uh, would be fired immediately and shipped to Cuba. Um, it for that fourth down play call. Yeah, that was disp- It was. <laughs> I swear, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die just thinking about it. It was the most despicable Alabama performance I've ever seen. The committee said that the Florida State wasn't the same without their star quarterback. I guarantee you, freaking Grant Belney would have played better than uh what's his name Milrod did Milrod was atrocious he threw for what 112 yards like it was disgusting it Alabama disgusted me on that day in every way shape and form you know what the worst part about Alabama's two-point or sorry Alabama's uh fourth down play call was the worst part about it all of it (laughs) Worst part about it is that it reminded me of no. a certain two-point conversion from BYU and Taysom Hill <laughs> just ran it straight out the freaking middle. That's what, exactly the exact same thing that Jalen Milrow did, dude. Like, he, he put his head down. He didn't even look for an opening. He put his head straight down and ran right into the back of his center who couldn't, for whatever reason. If you're a Division One center, like, I get it. Bad snap. One, maybe two. But that consistently – and you play for Alabama? How? <laughs> that made absolutely no sense to me. This this game was, and I think you're going to get what, I, what I'm what i saying here, Jared, was the worst best game I have ever seen. <laughs> I agree. It was fun because it was close. You know, Michigan was leading, then Alabama took the lead. Michigan had to come back, storm force overtime, and then, you know, win the game though it happened with almost no offense. It was fun to watch the defense if you're a defensive guy uh, or gal, um, if you're a defensive enjoyer. But, man, that, that game was kind of hard on the eyeballs sometimes. But it, regardless, the fact that a college football playoff semifinal ended in overtime is beautiful to me. Totally. It, 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 it was, from an objective standpoint, it was awesome. It was great. It was a defensive slugfest. It was a rock fight. Tim McCarthy stinks. Um, it, it's just Alabama was bad. And we kind of knew this all year that they were bad. Uh, but we kind of like taped over our eyes with the Georgia game. And we're like, oh, they're good. But they, you know, they just didn't have, they're not a classic Alabama team. Um, in the second game, I I was very impressed by Washington. Washington kind of manhandled Texas from the start. Like, if if there's not a couple of things that go Texas's way, like the muff punt or the the injury, the freak injury that added 45 seconds to Texas time, like that gave him a free timeout. Like, it it really wasn't as close as it was. It felt like um, Texas. Awesome D-line, got owned in the trenches, had zero sacks, like two TFLs, right? 
Like Penix had to move a couple times in the pocket, but was really just free to cook the entire time. And they sliced and diced them. Like, I, I don't know what else to say. It, it really felt like Washington won that game more handily than they did, at least in my opinion. I completely agree. And coming into this game, all the pundits, right, all the talking heads are like, oh, Texas is going to roll Washington. The, the Texas is so much better. I didn't understand it. Washington is an undefeated conference champion who is coming to play good football, who has beaten a good Oregon team, a good, you know, uh, twice, air quotes, good Utah team. You know, you had to beat Oregon twice, you know. Like, this is, they were a freaking good team. They were a really good team. And they proved it on on uh, on Monday. They beat the crap out of Texas from start to, from start to um, the last minute of the game, where they forgot how to play defense until the last play of the game. Um, they Penix was incredible, man. Like it was, he was. Every deep ball he threw was a work of art. If that ball was going more than 30 yards past the line of scrimmage, it was going to be an absolute dot that the Washington wide receiver ended up with. No matter how covered he was, no matter how good the coverage was, no matter the ball placement, that wide receiver was coming down with it. Washington's wide receivers were incredible. Penix was incredible. Their line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball was incredible. Washington just absolutely dominated this game. It's cool, however, that even though they dominated – it came down to the very last play. Yeah. Quinn Ewers struggled for basically the whole entire game, but finally got things together at the end and drove them all the way down the field and had a chance to tie the game or to win the game at that point, right? Because it, it was a five-point game, six-point game. They were down six, so kick via team win. Yeah, six-point yeah, six game. That is absolutely bonkers. Yeah, and it was so fun to watch. Like, it, it was so much more fun to watch than the other game. One, I didn't have, like – such a vested interest like I was rooting for Washington but I don't really care I just wanted a fun game and it was like there's tons of scoring uh it was exciting right there were tons of exciting deep passes um if if somebody asked me like who are the best players of 2023 uh or like what who do you remember from 2023 I'm not gonna say Jaden Daniels like I don't care that he won the Heisman Michael Penis is gonna live on forever uh especially if he wins a title right oh yeah like he proved that he's, you know, they can decide whatever they want in the Heisman voting, uh, and and everyone may have their own opinion, but I, I felt like Michael Penis made a statement. Um, he's like, I'm the dude. I am him, basically, right, of the that whole thing. Um, and then that play at the end, holy, that's the best play I've ever seen by a DB. Like, jumping up, swatting the ball, like <laughs> – that was so cool to watch. It was incredible. <laughs> yeah, he didn't just get his hand in there. He swat he swatted that ball into the stands. Like yeah. that is every single DB coach across America is showing that to their DB room this week, next week, the first week of next season, every week after that, right? And to build on what you were saying, Jared, some some are saying this, right? Uh, some are saying that Michael Penis should have a statue erected in his honor. Uh, Ooh, a statue of himself or something else? Yeah, the I don't know. I, I just think the uh, penis statue should be erected. <laughs> I would agree. I, I think they should definitely erect a penis statue, um, especially if he wins him a national title. And let's get to that. Uh, 
to kind of finish up here. The national Michigan versus Washington in Houston. Uh, I think it should be played at the Rose Bowl again. I don't care that we were just there. Let's yep. play it there again because it's the awesome. It's the best. Um, Michigan is favored by four and a half. But what are you thinking? Like I, the way these two games played out, like I'm really riding Washington. They they play the under the underdog card so freaking hard. It's probably because they are the dogs, the Huskies. Um, but they like every single big game they had, they've been counted out, whether it was Utah, Oregon, Oregon, uh, Al- or Texas, right? They've been just counted out saying, oh, they don't have the line. They can't do this. They can't do that. And what do they do? They come out and they freaking win the game. Like they win. They are a group of winners. And Michigan didn't show anything good, basically, right? They showed that they can eke out a victory against uh, another terrible quarterback. I don't, I just don't know. I, like I get it, Michigan has the brand, but still, I I'm a, I'm all on Washington right now. Yeah, I have no clue what's going to happen here. I'm hoping for just chaos and fun, which I think this is the perfect chaos and fun game, right? Two completely different styles. Michigan is a very run-heavy team. You know, Washington just likes to let penis whip it out and, you know, throw it all over the place. Um, (laughs) I think if Washington scores early in this game, scores a couple touchdowns, I think it's going to be hard for Michigan to keep up. They just do not have the offensive firepower, in my opinion, to keep up with a high-powered offense like Washington. So this all comes down to Michigan's defense, I think. Can Michigan's defense stop the big play and can Washington's defense shut down Blake Corum? Cause once you shut down Blake Corum, Michigan's whole entire offense is effectively shut down unless mm-hmm. JJ McCarthy has to make a spinning one handed catch in the backfield and throw the ball while getting hit to a wide open wide receiver. In in that specific scenario, JJ McCarthy is the goat, but in every <laughs> other scenario, he sucks. No, I I'm totally with you. It's because I, I, yeah, I don't know, man. I really don't know. Like Michigan is not going to be able to keep up offensively with, with Washington, and so it's all going to be come come down to the defense. Like, can they force a turnover? Can they get Washington behind the sticks? Can Michigan set the game tempo? Because whoever controls the tempo is going to win the game. If it's super fast and Washington scoring every six plays, uh, it's going to be a long night for Michigan. But if Washington turns the ball over and then. Michigan sits on the ball for nine and a half minutes and scores a touchdown. And then Washington goes three and out. Then it's going to get really ugly for Washington and the game's going to be over in two hours and 45 minutes. So I don't know. I, it's definitely going to be, like you said, a a battle of contrasting styles and whichever style wins out. I, I think that's, that's going to be the winner because Washington can't play slow. They showed that in the last half of the Texas game. Right. And Michigan can't play fast. <laughs> They've never played a good quarterback. Like the best quarterback they faced was Kyle McCord. And he sucks. Like Michael Penis is unlike He's at Syracuse now. Ago. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. I'm I'm of course obviously fully riding with Washington, but I also just I, I think they're gonna win. I think they're the better team and I think they can exploit Michigan's weaknesses. Penis has beaten Michigan before when he was at Indiana. So true. True. He's got the experience, the veteran talent that everyone's always talking about, right? He knows veteran experience. Yeah. I don't know. That's 
So, Jared, what is your official score prediction for this game? I was just about to say it. Final score prediction. I'm going to go with 31 to 17, Washington. I think it might be a little higher scoring than that, maybe like 35 21, but I think 31 17 seems reasonable to me. Hmm. Interesting. What do I want, Jared? Give me Washington 34, Michigan 27. Okay. So a little bit closer. Close game, coming down to the wire. Yeah, coming Good. down to the wire. Washington scores a game-winning touchdown. I I would love for it to come back to the wire if Washington wins. Uh, really, I just want Washington to win because I don't know what I'm going to do with myself if Michigan does win. I will be so mad. Uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Our watch party might turn into a – what is that tweet that everybody turns around? Like, I just broke my – 90 inch plasma flat screen in front of the guests and through my table. And my wife is staying at a hotel with the kids for the night. My life is ruined. Um, <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> we might have another video to post like back, like back when BYU played a USF oh, in no. basketball last year. And you were going, you were going bonkers back when I cared about basketball. <laughs> Don't worry, you'll care about basketball again in, what, what is it, five short days. Four. Five short four, days, baby. Four short five days. short days. Anyway, go Huskies, baby. That's all I have to say here. I don't know if you have any parting thoughts for listeners, but really it's just go Huskies, baby. Oh! Yeah, you know, I think if Washington wins this one, they'll just claim this as their national championship and they'll no longer be like, well, we 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 were probably national champions in 1984. We just didn't want to play you guys because you know we were scared. And then the next year we got our doors blasted off by BYU. But if if they win, maybe their fans will shut up about that forever. We'll just take their CFP title, and 1984 will be truly BYU's. Beautiful. I love it. Well, with that, let's get out of here. Everybody, make sure you go follow us on Instagram and X slash Twitter. Uh, Lloyd's Royal Pod. It's really just Instagram. Like, that's really the main place we do everything. Yeah. Um, Casey and the Sunshine Ben Fire Emoji. Uh, DM us on Instagram. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's it. See you guys. Goodbye. Love you guys. Bye-bye. <laughs>